Lucy Lloyd and Heidi Holmes are a business dream team. These incredible founders started with a vision to make mentoring more accessible. Whilst they are successfully executing on a path of growth and global expansion, their business mentor loop is changing people's lives. These old friends say they have blended into the same person, but their complementary skill sets and empathy towards each other really is their secret weapon. Take for example Heidi's blind optimism, which is perfectly balanced by Lucy's intellectual honesty. As you will hear, the importance of having a good mentor cannot be undervalued at all. And in this discussion, Lucy and Heidi acted as a mentor to me as they explained that we all have something to learn and something to teach. Enjoy. Heidi Holmes, co-founder of Mentor Loop and Lucy Lloyd, CEO and co-founder of Mentor Loop. Welcome to Discipline. Thank you. Today is an auspicious day as it marks for me the first time interviewing two people at once and moreover two co-founders. Um, Heidi, let's start with you uh, and your journey. You started as an accountant at KPMG? Yes, it's going back a bit. Uh, yes, I actually started as a tax cadet when I left school um, and had a great I guess start to my early career at KPMG. Um, but really why I ended up there was because I always wanted to run my own business. And so for me, it was about, uh, I guess, getting in and understanding some business basics. Um, and through my time at uh, KPMG in being exposed to, I guess, uh, the tax division, I was able then to move on from that and uh, do a stint in the marketing uh, team. So my dad always said to me, if you want to run a business, know how to understand the numbers and know how to sell. So Good advice. That was the plan. Um, but was it an easy transition from tax into the marketing team? Uh, I had some, and I guess this is probably one of those things coming, <laughs> getting it back to mentoring early, but I guess I was unaware at the time, but I probably did have a bit of a sponsor or a champion in the partner that I'd worked with who had, I guess, taken me under his wing in a sense um, through my journey through tax, and he was a real supporter in making that happen. So without that, it would have been a hard transition. Yep. And Lucy, uh, you seem to have spent a big time with focus on sales um, in businesses and also marketing uh, and also a lot of retail. So how did your career sort of flourish into that area? Well, I guess the thread across all of those industries was um, like digital. So I kind of just fell into digital marketing yep. back in kind of 2006. I moved to London and uh, started working in kind of bars and like working with bars and restaurants to build their online presence. And so that was just websites at the start but eventually because you of, were frequenting them all the time yeah that's right i knew a lot about bars <laughs> and restaurants um and so yeah so i build websites for them and email marketing strategies and eventually seo and you know google Maps strategies and things like that and it just kind of i just fell into the digital space from so there. right so place that, at the right that's right absolutely yeah and how about you two where, where did you two both meet uh so we met at boarding school uh back in 1997? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so we've been so, yeah. for a long time. Yeah. So, so school friends. School yep. friends over 20 years, and I guess that's um, that's been, I think we call it our bit of our secret weapon, which we've only sort of realised recently. Like we've had a lot of people uh, where co-founding relationships have broken down. Um, yes. Whereas, <laughs> you know, which, is, which inevitably for some people does happen. Yeah. But for us, I think we've realised that that's a very solid 
part of our relationship is the fact that we've known each other for a long time. There's a lot of trust there. Yeah. Um, we can almost uh, understand and read what the other person's going to do next and we always seem to be on the same page. So there's very little friction in the relationship. And I think, um, you know, it's even got to a point where we've almost blended into the same person. Like some of our investors can't even tell us apart. <laughs> it's like a, mar- a married couple yeah. finish each other's sentences. Yeah. And- We're gradually becoming the same person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when you were at school, did you ever say we can run a business together? No, never thought no, about it? No, wasn't no, on not the- at school. No. <laughs> you weren't talking about those things at school back in the day. It was. It, it came about um, uh, I had a start-up uh, before uh, Mentorloop, which was at age, which was a job board for mature age workers. And I guess through my experience with that, there were things that I sort of learnt along the way but more around not what to do. And one of those things that I found... Uh, quite challenging with that was being a sole founder and so thinking about how I would do this better next time was always about you need to have someone in the trenches with you to keep you accountable to complement your skill set and so um Luce and I as the story goes that's out there we're having a wine one night together and I was sort of talking about I guess uh um, my experience with that age and the fact that my network was limited to knowing people in professional services and I was running this business and I really needed to connect with someone that had done this before and I didn't have that person yep. in my network. And for Luce, it was a bit the same. Yeah, it was. I'd kind of moved back from London to Melbourne and was like navigating the local scene and it was yeah, just really hard to kind of see around corners, you yes, know, um, yeah. you don't know what you don't know. And when Heidi mentioned this kind of mentoring concept and that she wanted to do something about mentoring, um, we we were workshopping it, I guess, over the wine and, and talked about, okay, well, it's kind of a dating site for mentoring. Um, and Heidi's always been kind of the natural entrepreneur, whereas I didn't really identify as entrepreneurial. I was just like, oh, I can, my with my digital stuff, I can help you with that. You know, I'd be happy to consult. And Heidi was like, no, 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 come and do this with me. And yeah. so that's, yeah, that's how we got started. Um and when you started, what what was the division of roles? I mean, you've obviously got your own strengths. Did you say, well, this is what I can do? Was it as as sort of uh, cut and dried as that or was it more yeah, fluid? Yeah, it, it was actually very – one of the first things we did, we put a Trello board together about divvying up sort of roles and responsibilities and it was broadly speaking – and it hasn't. it's changed a little bit over time but it was sort of like I was on – sort of front of house, so sales, um, marketing, uh, you know, client facing and loose with her experience was on the product side uh, and what fed into that was customer success and, and that side of the business as well. Yeah. And was it difficult because I, I guess it seems like it was more the idea was more yours or was it something that you went straight away? Yes, I get that. I, I feel that it resonates. I want to get into that as well. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think it was definitely, it was Heidi's idea. She came, yeah, with the idea when we had that first chat and then we workshopped it together. And so it kind of, it did, the idea did kind of change a little bit because Heidi was doing a lot of um, uh, research with potential clients and, you know, just we didn't even know, we didn't know what customer validation or validation really was in those days, but she was speaking to a lot of people and we soon realised that, we didn't want to make the mentoring relationship transactional itself. We didn't want mentees to have to pay for it. And so it's kind of casting about for, okay, who pays? And yep. we realised that our client was actually the organisations that wanted to build a mentoring culture. So it might be companies, universities, industry bodies, whoever it was that wanted to connect their people in more meaningful ways. Um, and so that that kind of realisation we came to together and that's then how the business model kind of you know fell nice. out of that. We became yep. B2B, et cetera. So, yeah, and I just, I guess, on the business model, but I just come from sort of a marketplace model, which is extremely hard, you know, like... Two sides of a marketplace. Oh, so it was kind of like, you know, um, B2B, yep. I, I think 
um, as a go-to-market strategy to complement our skill sets um, in, in terms of industries that come from in selling to that audience. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a business model we were more familiar with and could mm. see actually this is something we've bootstrapped and for us it was about a, a vision to raise money eventually but it was very important to us that we put our money in to validate the idea and that we could sell it yeah. immediately, at, immediately before we were comfortable taking other people's money. Yeah. yeah. And I think we, you know, we're, we're driven, like we believe the right connection can change your life and we want to make that connection available to as many people as possible and biting off larger organisations or community groups or industries is a much quicker way to, to get to, you know, yeah. to reach as many people as possible yeah. going one by one. And, I, and I, it's almost giving me uh, shivers down my spine because I think about the 10 years uh, with my own business and the times when it got really tough and I wasn't advancing, there just happened to be a mentor that came along at each point in the journey where it was a startup, then it was a scale up. And at each time I look back with these people and so that was the, that was actually the Philip that changed the business. It wasn't yeah. anything I did. It was this external influence. Yeah. Um, and one of them is Paul Breen, who's on an earlier uh, episode. And it just, it's so important for someone to be able to sit there dispassionately, get inside your head or just unlock a few things. Um, and it could be that easy, can't it? Yeah, we talk a lot, we use the phrase course correction internally. And it's kind of, it doesn't like mentoring sometimes is held up to be this huge life changing, you know, exchange of kind of values and experience and enthusiasm when sometimes it's just one conversation, just a slight tweak. Yeah. And that, you know, that what seems like a minor course correction at the time actually has massive impact on your career and yeah. life over time. Absolutely. I was going to go back just quickly before we get into the details of mentoring. Um, peas in a pod then. What happens when there is an argument? Who wins? We have a beer. Lucy, because she's the CEO. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that as well. <laughs> That's why we're not co-CEOs. Were you ever co-CEOs? No, Sorry to never. interrupt. No. no. Very deliberately yep. for us it was just like, no, there needs to be um, at the end of the day a person that is responsible and accountable for making that final decision you need yep. a tiebreaker uh for us as well um i i you know when we started this business i was ceo i've had a couple of kids along the way so i think there's there's been times where it made sense that i was in that role and now it makes sense that lucy's in that role and maybe in the future it'll change again hopefully maybe in the future it'll be even someone else you know? <laughs> well it sounds like you've got the two facets you've got peas in a pot and yin and yang going on so yeah maybe. no i think it's a strength like we can yeah yeah in a lot of ways, we do overlap um, in our, our school base, but we do also have things that, that are complementary and quite different. And, yeah, the, the fact that we can swap in that leadership role, I think, is, is a strength for the business because it's just another layer of kind of, you know, insurance, basically. Yeah. Um, I was going to say give us the elevator pitch, but we've been through a bit of it already, but give us the elevator pitch <laughs> so for MentorLoop. MentorLoop is a cloud-based platform that helps organisations build a culture of mentoring for their people for better engagement, retention and productivity. Going back to the genesis of it, did you think it had to be a, a web platform, a cloud platform? Was that initially what you thought? Yeah, the the two themes for us that are really important around what we're trying to do differently here is around making mentoring more accessible and more visible to people. So it's around, this isn't for the people that have had mentoring available to them already. This is about bringing people in off the sidelines and making it a proposition that's relevant yep. and available to everyone. So for us, technology is an enabler of that. Uh, it is still very much about how do we help people create human connections. Yes. Um but technology is just a new channel for us to be able to do that and to maybe 
no, to enable us to do that at scale. Yeah. Yeah, and I think for so long, like, tech's been used to take skills out of people, remove humanity from our relationship, yes. remove our opportunities to connect. And so it's like, well, why aren't we using tech for the opposite? Why aren't we using it to make more meaningful connections? You've got the marketplace then, so you've got the mentors and the mentees. How do you find the mentors? So I guess... Uh, you know, for us going B2B, um, when we're working with our clients that might be corporates, universities, not-for-profits, community groups, they're actually pulling their mentees and mentors from their networks. Yeah. So uh, it's very much about um, understanding when we're consulting with them around what is the reason, you're, why is the reason you're running this program and what are the key objectives you're trying to achieve. So we're very deliberate about trying to find this anchor KPI around, you know, in six or 12 months' time, if we could have changed one thing for you and your organisation, what would have that been through mentoring? And so through that, that really helps us articulate uh, the, the marketing and comm strategy around going out and putting this as a proposition to their people to get them excited and interested in thinking this is something I want to sign up for and getting people to identify as both a mentee and mentor because I think often people view mentoring quite hierarchical and so they don't think they actually have... Yeah enough years experience to be a mentor because yep. you need to have 20 years experience yes. whereas in fact we've all got something to learn and we've all got something we can teach so we talk a lot about um mentoring you know the most impactful mentoring relationships being reciprocal in nature uh and that it is you know i guess where people really feel like they're able to move along in their career is where you're actually playing both those roles uh, so, you know, when we think about mentoring like that, it becomes a much more scalable and accessible proposition to people. So uh, we can go out and recruit mentors who are, you know, mid middle managers rather than thinking about mentoring that they need to be senior execs within the organisation. And, you know, is there any recurring themes of companies that they want to achieve when they when they say, yes, we want to sign up for this program? What what do they think they need to get out of it? Well, there's often, sometimes, like most of the time, our clients are really um, high-performing. They're kind of winning the war for talent. They really are building a people-first culture. So they're using mentoring to enhance things like employee engagement, yep. um, better uh, skills transfer, breaking down internal silos. Yes. Um, where there might be a problem with the company, um, they might be looking for retention results so they yes. might have low retention on let's say grads in their first year they see this huge drop off so it's like how do we connect them better and help them on board you know in a more meaningful way uh, and then a really big theme for us is diversity and inclusion yes. so mentor mentoring is great for inclusion because as Heidi mentioned earlier it does bring people off the sidelines on both the mentor and the mentee side and yes. it cuts across traditional advocacy pathways so by that I mean that when you mentoring is left to happen organically you see this phenomenon of kind of you know senior and excuse me but white dude seeing younger white dude and taking him under his wing and saying I you know I see something of myself in in this you know this young guy and I'm going to help him and that's beautiful when it happens but it does leave people out yes and so you cut across those advocacy pathways by making the different types of people available for mentoring more visible and connecting people who wouldn't otherwise have been connected and does that have to happen within a framework of a company going through a, a sort of a full cultural shift to try and bring in inclusion or is not it, necessarily it, no? sometimes it's just something that's on the agenda yep. um and there might be a problem so they might be like oh look we've got a we've got 50 50 you know representation let's say in terms of gender but we only have you know 
2080 at senior levels, you know, we've got a, a minority of women at senior levels. Why aren't they bridging that gap? You know, why aren't they making the leap? And so they might have a specific outcome they're looking to achieve. But often it's just, you know, we just want to be more inclusive. You know, we just want to build a build a culture where everyone speaks to everyone and we don't have these, you know, cultural or, or um, gender silos building. And bringing people then off the sidelines, it just opens up connections and communication across the, the organisation. The benefits are, yeah, like, you know, a lot of the time we'll talk about, okay, what's the hard benefit we can measure? And it might be something like knowledge transfer, for example, yeah. or, or skills transfer across different, like it might be, you know, you've got your, your frontline staff in, in one division and then a, a different, slightly different type of frontline staff and why aren't they exchanging, you know, tactics and knowledge and, and spreading the learning. Um, but then there's these kind of other, um, I guess, you know, positive externalities like, you know, that, that just it's a better cultural feel, you know, people are more likely to be smiling at each other in the hallway, you know, people are, are readier to strike up a conversation yep. with someone different from themselves. Yes. And so there's the intangible kind of cultural benefits and then there is like tangible stuff like, okay, well, now we do have more uh, gender representation in the boardroom, yep. for example. And talking about, I mean, you know, in, in B2B markets and, and selling products into companies, generally speaking, you have to demonstrate some kind of return on investment Something like this, is it easy to quantify with numbers on a page or are you looking uh, at some, some other KPIs or metrics that help a company identify what they are achieving through this process? Yeah, I think, uh, like, broadly speaking, you know, there's uh, research out there to validate that mentoring can have a positive impact yes. on your organisation and your people. And this is around those big-ticket items like retention, moving people through to leadership positions, so career progression. What we're really keen to identify is early on, but what are the drivers for that business? So it is about really trying to make it a situation where we can keep ourselves accountable at Mentor Loop as well, so we know what that particular client's driving towards. So obviously something like retention is a, a longer-term goal that you might be driving towards, so that's something we can sort of put on the table and talk about. But it's really around, you know, in that six or 12 months time, what's the one thing you want to move in that time and how do we measure that? And so we're very deliberate about sort of taking a health check at the start of where the people in their mentoring relationship are and measuring that over time. So we can be deliberate in reporting back to the organisation. This is actually where we've been able to move the needle in terms of your yeah. people. Um, and I guess some of our own metrics in that are really what we're really interested in is uh, how satisfied people are in their mentoring relationships. So ensuring we've got a quality match and a quality relationship, you know, will then enable it to be more likely that there's successful outcomes being achieved from that. So that's where we come in and, and do our own, I guess, measurement around uh, the actual what we call our mentoring quality score. And so that is something that we can tie back to. If people are having a good time, this is going to help us then achieve that longer-term goal that the company's driving towards. So <laughs> I'm curious with the, you know, the uh, personalisation with the actual mentors and mentor mentees and the depersonalisation <laughs> of a, a digital platform, how have you managed to blend the two together and say, we're going to have mentors and men mentees or uh, a group of people on this platform? How do you get the quality assurance of the connections and then the follow-through of making sure there was that moving of the needle. So in our first, when we first started researching mentoring and, you know, how can we, how can we impact, how can we make this available to more people, but they're like, and to do that, 
what are we even talking about here? So we, we research kind of people running mentoring programs and observe the same kinds of things. So um, the admin burden often got in the way of what mentoring was really about. So there were lots of people running huge spreadsheets and emails to just yeah. match people. They couldn't offer it to as many people, so they ended up focusing on high potentials. And, you know, it was the same kind yeah. of problems happening where people were being left out. Um, but then also there was this phenomenon of mentoring programs being started with this great fanfare and, you know, we'll give you a match. It's going to be amazing. Everyone's going to have a wonderful time. And then they were really left to wither on the vine. Yeah. And so um, we, you know, observed that people kind of loved the idea of mentoring, but it all been burnt a little bit by an experience that wasn't great. And so for us, I guess the, the digital platform is about, you know, very easily we can kind of break down those admin, that admin burden, you know, we can, we can bring it all online. We can, we can make it much easier to manage than emails and spreadsheets. You know, it's, it's a lot of it's automated. Um, but also we can wrap support around mentor and mentee to onboard them into the experience, but also to keep a drumbeat of communication and a drumbeat of accountability happening. Yeah. And so in, in building that kind of drumbeat of accountability, then back to the client, we're able to demonstrate that, yeah, this is actually happening. People are engaged. They can, you know, they, they, there's accountability and transparency that, that activity is happening yeah. in that mentoring relationship. We're Sorry. also very, I guess, <clears throat> um, deliberate in the fact that we, we do want to put some guardrails around the relationship. So it's about um, onboarding mentees and mentors into a relationship so they both know their roles because it's particularly if we bring mentors to a relationship that they've never mentored before, they don't. we can't assume that they know what their role is here. So that's why we also have a goal-centric approach to mentor mentoring, um, which is giving people sort of a centre, something to focus on. We want to just avoid this scenario where people are coming together for a general chit-chat and so there's no progress being made. And so having a, a goal-centric approach enables the mentor to have something that they can think about in terms of their experience, what they've lived, how they could help that person achieve yeah. that goal. Um, and and this is where it becomes, I guess, a situation where um, it, it becomes time-bound in a way too. And I think, you know, we're all busy people and so people sometimes have an appreh- apprehension to come to mentoring because they think uh, someone for an hour each month for the next year, mentoring has evolved from that. It's about... Yeah more of this just-in-time approach. So I'm working towards this thing. I need to have a couple of conversations to get to this point. So it may be just something that lasts for, you know, four to six months. It may be something then that evolves into more than that. But having a goal-centric approach puts some, I I guess, some barriers around it and gives people a sense that uh, the commitment just lasts to this point as well. What's your uh, favourite stories each of achievement that, you know, you've seen someone grow or they've, you know, taken so much from this program that they've, uh, you know, really advanced themselves or turned a corner? I think for me we come to uh, uh, probably calling out a couple of our programs that are in the diversity and inclusion space. One is Women in Transport and the other one is Out for Australia, which is connecting LGBTQI plus professionals with other LGBTQI plus. Um, And across both of those, the theme of, like, Confidence, I think, is something that I've heard come from mentees uh, in terms of being able to connect in with someone that, particularly in the women in transport, um, one was really around uh, almost being able to connect with a sponsor. Yep. So somebody that's then able to uh, empathise with that person's situation and, and almost coach them through how to, you know, um, navigate that industry, which is traditionally a pretty male-dominated industry. Yeah. 
And on the flip side of that, I guess the app for Australia program, you know, this sense of role modeling. So you can't be what you can't see. And with that program, it's about being able to connect with someone that has lived your experience, I think is really interesting and valuable to point out in terms of mentoring as well. So we talk about not wanting to create situations where it's it's mini-me mentoring, but for some people that's really important that they can connect in with somebody that's had to navigate the same paths they have because it's very different for someone that identifies LGBTQI plus to just, you know, someone like me. So um I think they're two uh, programs that sort of stick out to me in terms of the impact they've had at a really individual level, both personally and professionally for people. Yeah. It must be very rewarding, actually. It yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of, you know, it fills, fills your heart with, you know, with joy, basically. It's just, yeah, it's really, it's it's very, I don't know, it just gives you real confidence in, in people again. You know, you can feel so removed from humanity, but it really does, yeah, make you realise that, you know, people just want to help. They want to feel, feel part of something. Yeah. And they also want to feel like they're, they're helping is it is it a naturally australian thing to do to want to uh, be inclusive and, and talk about challenges i mean maybe historically it wasn't maybe today it's still not are we um, are we changing as a as a nation yeah i think mentoring almost as a word is really charged as well like it's kind of it's something that's really accepted in in the states um yes. but here yep. i think we're you know we're a little bit probably bashful about using the term like i yep. wouldn't say oh no that's my that's my mentor brian um <laughs> <but> <laughs> Um, so I think there's a bit of a change that the term mentoring has to go through and we're, we're trying to, you know, be agents of that change. Um, you know, I think a lot of what we just consider talk chats at a barbecue with, you know, a friend of mum and dad's, for example, is a mentoring chat, you know, but we, we don't necessarily label it that way. And so I think as Australians, we don't want to, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily wear our hearts on our sleeves, you know, everything's a bit no worries. And so, yeah, so, so giving people a way to anonymously give feedback on their relationships actually surprises you. And I think um, this no worries um, uh, attitude and the, the lack of sort of communication, I mean, we've seen an explosion in uh, people saying they've got uh, mental health challenges and issues. Hopefully having someone who can, you can relate to, who you can talk to, I can tell you, you know, these are the challenges that everyone, yeah, Yeah. um, helps break down a lot of these uh, internal mechanisms that are. Absolutely. And I think even personally for us as, you know, founders, like, Neither of us is, a, is was technical by nature. You know, I, I kind of project managed um, dev projects, but not neither of us is an engineer. And so we definitely kind of felt like outsiders in the startup scene. We're also a little bit older than a lot of the other founders um, and, you know, two women as well. And so I think even for us just having connecting with a founder another a fellow founder even if they're just a little bit ahead of you going for a coffee with them and just talking about all the things that are going wrong yeah is really good for the soul you know you, you're just not alone you're not the only one who's grappling with all this stuff about you know how do i become the best version of myself you know how do i lead this team now that i've suddenly got one um and yeah i think it's really it just it just makes you feel like you know you're not uniquely the only imposter in the room basically there's cultural nuances across countries because this has come up now that we've you know kind of expanded we've got programs running all around the globe and I think to that point around in Australia we're a bit conservative here but we've got a couple of uh, clients in India and culturally it's it's not seen as something you do to admit you don't know how to do something yes and so this is where it is a little bit um while they're driving to want to help people along the journey it's it's getting the mentees to actually put their hand up um 
So it's not a problem on the side of recruiting mentors as much. It's on the side of getting people to say, I need some help. Yeah. That culturally isn't something that's really embraced over there. So, um, uh, and I'd say potentially Australians are a little bit like that too, but maybe not to the same extent. But, yeah, it is interesting to see different cultural nuances as we enter different markets as well. One of the uh, things that struck me again from an earlier interview, I, I spoke to Jamal Khan, who's um, uh, executive search, and he was saying that um, that almost every single top-level CEO has a business coach or mentor, and in terms of recruitment and search, they look incredibly favourably on that, that, you know, it is lonely at the top yeah. especially, um, and someone who's got a someone that they can talk to, fall back on for advice. But I think they use the term business coach or, or is it the same? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's never just one person. It's dangerous to fall into that trap of thinking, okay, I've got my mentor now, I'm sorted. Like yeah. we talk about building your own personal advisory board. And so Heidi and I have some of the same mentors, like we overlap with some mentors and we each have our own. And it's just different circumstances and different problems and different feelings and a different mood will mean you call on someone a bit yes, different, you yeah. know? And so, like, you kind of need this armory of maybe five to eight people, basically, that are your, that are your yeah, your, your advisory council that you can kind of, you know, pick up the phone to and just say either I've got to have a difficult conversation with a team member, I've got to negotiate this thing with a client, I've got investors breathing down my neck about this other thing, whatever the, the kind of problem is, you have someone that you go to for that problem specifically. Yeah. Well, let's get into the uh, uh, the, the rough and tumble of the business side of the business. Um, you've got on one side the gratifying work you're doing and then the realities of building a tech platform, raising capital, keeping shareholders happy, keeping clients happy. Um when you got into this, when did you sort of realise you had something good or was there a moment you turned around and said, what, what have we done here? God, I don't know. Like it's it still feels like, you know, and it's not at all, but it still feels like, you know, we're very early stage. And yep. we're now like since our first conversation, we're now seven years down the track. Yeah, great. And we're three years in as an actual business. We, we went full time mm-hmm. three years ago. So started it as a side hustle. Side hustle and just, you know, investigated lots of – because both of us, like Heidi had her own business and I had a full-time job and so it really was like weekends and evenings. Um, And so we did that for a couple of years, just research basically. Then we put our own money in and developed kind of the first versions of the product, which were just awful. We managed to just get a couple of clients to agree to use those first awful versions. And that was when we were kind of one foot in both worlds and we were like that was probably the most uncomfortable we ever were when we were just like, are we doing this, are we not doing this? And so we had a few kind of um, robust conversations about whether we were in or out and we just we were like, okay, well, we need to actually take this decision outside of ourselves. We've spent a certain amount of our own money to develop this, you know, what essentially was a minimum viable product. We've got the proof points in the, the pipeline that we've built but in the three clients that we've got. Um, let's see if we can raise a bit of money. And yep. If we can raise a minimum of 200 grand, we'll go full time and we're all in on this thing. And so we, not knowing what we were doing, at all um ran a ran a funding round and um yeah we we got to the 200 minimum we ended up raising 375,000 and so that was you know the validation to to go basically and so we we went all in six months we just kind of 
pissed about um, <laughs> in the sense that like we followed every opportunity we possibly could yes, you know yeah. we were just like now we've got full time to do this we will do everything yeah. yeah and then we kind of rounded ourselves up we're like okay let's be more strategic about this thing what are we actually aiming to achieve and then we started to set proper revenue goals we started to build out a business dashboard and then we're kind of off basically yeah and then at the I guess the end of that closing out that funding round Startmate came up so, yeah that's right so going through the Startmate accelerator again put that layer of accountability and process into what we were doing. Yes, yep. Um, and uh, so that was the start of 2017. And I think that was really game-changing for yeah. Mentor Loop as well. It was formative for the business. I'll come back to start, mate. I just want to rewind to building an MVP. Mm. Um, so presumably you didn't code it yourself? No. So I wireframe. So we've done this kind of this a whole lot of conversations with people running mentoring programs. We're like, okay, this is the client. Here's what they want to achieve. We wireframed and spec'd out a solution. Yeah. You know, this is what we want to do, and then we just shopped it around offshore and in Australia. We went with um, a, a dev shop in Abbotsford. So yep. local guys. I mean, I'd kind of been exposed to a lot of dev projects in the past and offshore can work but it needs really controlled you know project management and stuff and yeah. we were like it's worth spending the money um and getting some, some people we can look in the eye and ask them yes we also have a bit of a philosophy like we're an aussie tech startup we want to support the industry here yes. too so if we can buy from suppliers here that's our preference to do yeah. that yeah and so we worked with these guys they're called common code and okay. they they basically um were two guys then and now they're a dev shop of you know 30 fantastic and you know so we've grown up together um and eventually our cto came across from common code okay so we had a yeah. wonderful kind of relationship with them as our agency and then eventually yeah they they um helped us by yeah well accepting that we stole their cto um, <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna ask uh but no we've got a great, great relationship so yeah so that was wonderful um and that was kind of a period it was you know it was tight because heidi and i put a bit of capital in first up to build the first yep. iteration but then as always happens, you build the first thing and you realise that, you know, there's a whole lot of other things that you need to build around it to make it work. And so we were, you know, putting in month by month a grand here, a grand there, like each of us would take it in turns. And so, you know, we really were just like from our pay packet putting money into this development. And so that was, you know, that was uncomfortable, but it also meant that we were really Skin uh, in the intentional, game. well, in skin in the game, but also intentional about what we built. Yeah, you right. know, like we there wasn't a wasted, there wasn't anything wasted, basically. Um, and so, yeah, so we had this very lean product, like you know, and we used to kind of people would say, "God, it's so simple and easy to use," and we're like, "Yeah, that's because we couldn't afford to build it." <laughs> <laughs> and at that time, for both of you, I mean, you know, there's always someone on your shoulder going, "Yes, go, go, go," but there's always people saying, "What are you doing? You know, you're not doing it right." Did you did you have both of those? things going on, someone putting doubt into your mind and someone pushing you forward? No, I didn't think anything about that. Like mm. I was just like, this is what we're doing. Like yeah. you've got to push forward. Um, we talk about, or Liz talks about, uh, um, blind optimism and intellectual honesty. And I guess I'm the blind optimism and Luce is the intellectual honesty. Because I think you can't get to this point if you're thinking rationally about it, you wouldn't start a business. No. Like, like, you wouldn't. It doesn't make sense. No, it's madness. Yeah, so you've just got to, you know, if you've got any ounce of doubt, you probably wouldn't do it. Um, so you kind of need to get started. You've just got to have this yeah. blind faith that it's going to work out and you're going to get there. Yeah. Um, but then that's only going to get you so far. 
as well. So that's where the intellectual honesty comes in. Yeah, that's right. No, but I think it's probably, yeah, it wasn't even external because you kind of hear all this external stuff and some people are like, good for you guys, you know, kind of vaguely patronising way. And other people are like, oh, that sounds a bit risky. Or I've heard about someone else who's starting that exact same thing and blah, blah, blah. Yes, yes, um, have you heard of oh, never, never start a business with your friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Oh, yeah. Um, partnerships are the worst. Yeah, but I think um, Heidi, I think it's true because Heidi was, you know, she was bullish from the get-go, whereas I was much more kind of, ooh, not sure. And I remember like at a barbecue, she overheard me speaking to someone. I'm like, oh, yeah, Heidi and I are working on this project. And she came up to me and said, it's 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 not a project, it's a business. Can you stop calling it a project, please? It's not a pet project. Yeah. used to hate when people would say to us, oh, is it your baby? And I'm like, no, it's not a baby, it's a business. <laughs> Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, there's a, always a lot of noise, and it's yeah. really difficult, especially when you're doing it for the first time. I think to sort the good advice from the bad advice. And oh, we talk about like mentor whiplash. Like you can get overwhelmed with advice, yeah. and you need to know when to turn that off and just you know go with your gut or know that you actually know your business better than anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you do have to manage that a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's something you get better at over time too. Yeah. And I think you, you need to navigate that, like a great, you know, a good founder or a good mentee navigates those data points. So you ask for as many different opinions as possible. You kind of see where those opinions land and then you navigate your way through. Absolutely. Them. It's taking all this and 95% of it's absolute garbage and noise and it's taking the 5% that's probably relevant to your journey at that particular point in time as well yeah. and saying, yeah, that's really good advice. Mm. And so that leads back to Startmate. Yeah. So getting into their accelerator, did that actually accelerate the process for you and, and how did that really help? Um, absolutely. I think they're even just kind of the way an accelerator works, this one in particular, it's 12 weeks long with the other teams you're all working from the same office. It's mentor-driven, so you've kind of – there's a lot of scrutiny over those 12 weeks. Everyone knows your numbers. Everybody's very uh, transparent about kind of what they want to achieve and how they're going to get there. Uh, and then they've got this huge – fantastic mentor network and you meet as many of them as possible and then you kind of select you know where you've got the love connection with the mentors you kind of build your own again personal advisory board from that um and the the kind of combination of the competition you know friendly competition with the other teams because you're all playing in the same space and potentially you're all going to be going for funding rounds at the end of that process um you, uh, there's the competition but also the scrutiny and the kind of, you know, people can see everything, you know, warts and all what's going on with your business and so you can't help but accelerate. And, you know, it was like I, we probably couldn't have done it for much longer than, you know, four months. Um, we closed it out with a trip to um, San Francisco for a couple of weeks. Heidi had a three-month-old, four-month-old baby. So we took a girlfriend of ours, so it was three ladies and a baby <laughs> in San Francisco. And, there's a book um, in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so the friend of ours... Um, you know, looked after Goldie, the baby, and Heidi and I went and just met with as many people as possible, basically. Yeah. Oh, that's a real acceleration experience yeah. and exposure. and It's kind of madness, like, now when we look back at it. But, yeah, it was just kind of anything was possible, basically, yes. because we were just operating. And sometimes, you know, nowadays I, I look back at those days and I think I'd actually love to get some of that some of that acceleration back you know yes. because there's a lot of energy and high intensity just, yeah that's right yeah. and just like this single-minded focus because i moved up to sydney to do start mate and so i kind of didn't have a lot of friends or family or anything like that up there and so that was also kind of contributed to the success too because i actually didn't have anything else yeah. to do except focus on the business yeah well i lived in sydney for six years i could say you didn't miss much why not <laughs> <laughs> the city's great yeah sorry sydney people <laughs> um 
Yeah, okay. So what about looking back now? Is it as easy or as hard as you imagined or you just can't conceive of? I think the things you think are hard are easy and the things you think are easy are hard. And so, like, for us, growing, you know, like, growing is always a challenge and we're always throwing as much as possible at it, but it's it hasn't been a problem for us and I just knock on wood um, so it doesn't become a problem but I guess the stuff we thought we, we're both kind of people people we love people we thought we'd be able to just manage people you know yeah. and without kind of <laughs> any training or anything we started hiring and you know we came to we had to let someone go at some point and we just had this rude realisation that actually it, you couldn't go on gut alone you know you actually needed to apply frameworks and yes. so both of us had yeah. this very steep learning curve we read um uh, the who the A method for hiring yep. and we read top grading um, and so we started to build a much more uh, rigorous recruitment process you know and just like that kind of hold um, I think it's higher slowly fire fast yep. yeah and so we needed to get the hiring bit right yep. because we you know people would come and say oh we'd love to work for you and we'd be like great come on board when really we hadn't des- defined a proper role for them you know yeah. and we needed to get better at actually articulating expectations to the team yeah and what about the other side the managing of the clients uh, as people as well when things you know in any startup there's always bushfires and things that don't go as anticipated how have you managed to uh, keep clients happy through the the journey i mean we're a SaaS business but we're also very consultative in our sales process so it is a relationship that's formed with the salesperson and the client, which then is handed over to our customer success team. So we're close to our clients and there's a couple of reasons for that. We're, in, we're, we're selling, you know, um, human connections here, but we're also very early on, so we need to understand exactly what our clients' requirements yep. are um, and there's so much gold in those conversations and being close with them. So, of course, you know, early on we don't have this thing nailed. Like it is about gleaning from them what's working well and what are some of the challenges they've got here too. So that's kind of naturally built into the relationship, this feedback loop that we have. Uh, So I think that's contributed as well as, uh, I guess, having a promise that we're just delivering this one thing. You know, we're not an HR platform that's trying to do 20 things. We just want to do mentoring really well. Um, And we do do that for our clients. There's just areas of improvement that we need to have, and I think this is reflected in the fact that we're able to, you know, retain and expand clients. Um, And this is across all different sectors with all different, you know, requirements, which is hard to do. And how about channeling that feedback into the tech platform? I mean, they say in SaaS businesses, quite often the most important person in the company is the interface between the product and the customers. How have you managed that uh, engagement? Well, that's our biggest team. So in, yeah, we're kind of pretty lean <coughs> in sales and, you know, in the engineering team and then customer success is our biggest yep. team. And it won't always, proportionally it won't always be like that, but as kind of Heidi's kind of alluded to at this point when we can learn so much, you know, mm. that it's just the sky's the limit on what we can learn from our clients. Our, our biggest team are our, what we call customer success team. And so they are the, the, the client liaison, the, the ones who are at the cold face with our clients and they you know feed feedback back to us um they do a lot of the heavy lifting while the product's still kind of immature yep. you know while we're still yep. developing it they're they're you know they're the kind of the guys that are, are making up for any any lack on that side yeah in the capital raising process that you've brought on uh blackbird rampersand and tempest partners you know these these funds are very selective uh how did you go about that process of attracting a fund and then having you know, multiple funds uh, say, yeah, we want in. 
I think mm. we've been very lucky. Um, no, I don't buy luck. Yeah, okay. Tell everyone I don't buy luck. <laughs> we had a bit of a strategy. It's a cop out saying on. you're lucky. Yeah. So we've played a long game here, and it was that we had conversations very early on, uh, and it was going and meeting with Paul from Ramsden yep. saying, we're, we're doing this thing. Um, if we want you to invest in us in two years' time, what do we need to look like? Yes. At that point, we said six months because we were so naive, we had no idea <laughs> what would have to happen before they'd be ready to invest. But, and, yeah, and it was two years it's later. just, you know, you're building a relationship with these people. It's not about, you know, there's very few people or companies that, you know, you're going to get inbound from and just somebody rings you up and says, I want to write a check for you never heard of it happening but so, it may happen and, so yeah. yeah um you've got to build a relationship and you've got to tell a story over time yeah. and it's not something that necessarily comes naturally to us we're not you know excellent at capital raising or anything i think how we've been able to navigate it is building strong relationships with individual investors yeah and just over time being able to tell a story of progression it is, in a, our it is, it is in effect a sales process selling mm-hmm. your business to other investors to me is a is a sales process each investor yeah, maybe has different early on it's trust too because they're, they're basically investing in the founders early on because it's very little metrics to go by or yes. very little history yeah so i think there's trust and then that gets you so far and then there's a business and then there's a business yeah. so uh yeah we definitely have evolved from that can't just be about hardy and lucy like what's what's the big mentor loop story here yes and what was the story from the business perspective customers growth revenue all of the above i think initially it was opportunity and and founders and what we'd kind of done so far and then it's yeah and then it's since then it's been growth yeah and it's opportunities always there but yeah i think um we've we've kind of proven that we can um make a promise and deliver on it with mentor loop but also, I mean, practically, like, all of our rounds have been a real volume game. Um, so, you know, we've we'd met with, you know, 50 – well, the first round it was probably 100 people ended up speaking properly to 25. Yeah. And we ended up with 14 investors. Um, then the next round it was maybe spoke to 50 people, ended up, you know, more serious conversation for 15, got another seven investors. So yes. we do have um, – we don't have one big investor sitting on the cap table, which now is wonderful, but it's meant that each round has been a little bit, you know, like herding cats. You know, we've had to bring a lot of parties together on terms, on valuation, on all of that. And now it's kind of a blessing and a strength in terms of how we run the business. But at the time we looked jealously at other people's rounds where, you know, led by blah, blah, who put in, you know, 75% of the round and yes, they just had to yeah. top up the rest no, of it. That's more so, of the noise. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And do you treat the business differently now that you've got a, a cap table with other people's money in there? Do you do you carry a weight of responsibility or do you, again, just focus in on the business yeah. and try and block it out? Yeah, I guess, you know, um, we've both always approached the business in the fact that we want to build a profitable, sustainable business here. That doesn't mean a slow-growing company and we're just chasing profitability. It means a level of accountability in terms yep. of how we run the business, that we're not just burning cash irresponsibly and, you know, buying fridges to put beer in and ping-pong tables. Well, that and- sounds like a great idea, though. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get the ping-pong table, but we are going to get that fridge. Yeah, yeah, we're going to eventually. Don't worry about shouldn't have used that as an example. <laughs> but, um, no, so I think, you know, and, and I think this comes back to how we started the business yep. by bootstrapping. Yes. We've got skin in the game. Yeah. We treat everyone's money like it's our own. Mm. And do you think actually, you know, the fact that you started as a bit of a side hustle and did mm. have a, a sort of conservative approach to yeah. growing that, do you think that played into your favour when people invest, they go, okay, it's, you know, 
strategic, it's smart, it's organic. They're not going to throw the money against the wall. Yeah, I think I think so, and I think there's an interesting mix on our cap table of you know the VCs who are driven by the you know big exits often and, and taking the big risks and swinging for the you know the bleachers or whatever the expression is, um, some part of the sports stadium, um, and um, then like but our angels and our kind of friends and family are more um, probably that they love the accountability, yes. they love our quarterly updates, yes. you know they love that they know exactly what's going on in the business and they can see it steadily growing and you know they know that they've had because we've done three rounds now from that first investment. They've you know tripled their money, or you know, actually they've yeah tripled their money, and so yeah, I think that's there's a nice mix on our like no none of our investor groups are pulling us in any one direction, and again, it's just kind of like mentoring. You know, we've got all these data points, all these opinions, and we navigate our way through it. You know, depending on you know according to how we know the business. And it um, you know with all this, these meetings you've had, San Francisco investors, you meet incredible people, incredible range of experiences. Have you ever just sat there and had what they call imposter syndrome and thought, what am I doing here? I don't, I don't belong here or you're comfortable in amongst uh, everything? I'm, I'm comfortable. I yeah. <laughs> Heidi hasn't had imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say you do meet amazing people but you also meet a number of dickheads along the way too that you just like and, – and that's your people that, you know, might have money that actually haven't ever run their own business, that don't, you know, it's kind of like they – and when you do talk to someone that has had this lived experience, there's a much, I think, um, there's a better – often a better vibe and there's often a bit more respect in the room there yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, just uh, as a story, I was at a, a – my wife and I were at a, a – I can't remember, some event somewhere, sat at a table – and the person next to us said, I'm, I'm the startup expert. I said, oh, that's great. Uh, what startups have you had? I haven't had one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you expert in then? Yeah. Oh, no, well, I know everything. It's like, you know, the, the thing I say to people with who business, it's like playing poker with Monopoly chips. You yeah. know, it's easy to go all in with Monopoly chips. Yeah. It's dead easy. Yeah. Because mm. there's no loss if yeah. you lose. Mm. But when you're in business and you've got – clients and investors and your own money and your own reputations, the game is completely different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so with that in mind, is there anything that keeps you awake at night and you go, oh, we've got to get this right or, you know? Um, it probably comes back to team because I think that, you know, not because there's any problem or anything there, it's just because it needs to continue to work as well as it has, you know? And so it's just kind of like how do we how do we keep everybody motivated? We've got some amazing people that work with us. Um, we need to keep throwing them challenges that, you know, keep them excited. When you start um, a company like ours, an early stage um, kind of tech company, you attract a lot of really high achievers who want to start their own thing one day. And, so, you know, it's a challenge to keep them engaged, yeah, you know, and yeah. to keep them motivated and make sure, you know, and we're, we're totally eyes open about that as well. We want them for a good time. It doesn't have to be a long time, but, you know, it's on us to to make sure that we're we're getting the most out of these people and that they leave mental richer for the experience. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a really good way to look mm. at it. It's sort of unrequited love. Yeah. Give as much yeah. as you can and they're there for a period of time. It might be two weeks, it might be yeah. 20 years, but we've just got to make sure they leave yeah. the and building. There's this, that, yeah, there's this mental loop alumni network out there that other other businesses yeah. can, you know, snatch up and be like, okay, well, we can we can get some of that experience. You know, imagine being at the coalface of a business that went from here to there over that period of time. And so, yeah, they, you know, they're out there at other businesses. <laughs> we'll wrap it up with a quick fire round. Uh, Heidi, um, if you could go to any place now for lunch... 
anywhere in the world, where would you go? Ooh. We're terrible. At this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like quick fire round. We're just like <laughs> we're startup founders. Like, we don't go anywhere. So yeah, we're just slow <laughs> execution. <laughs> we're supposed to name it's restaurants. Torture. We're restaurants. <laughs> country. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Probably just mum and dad. That'd be nice. Yeah. Oh, they'll love hearing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I'm around there most of the time. So I'll ask you a different question. Mm. Where would you next? like to take a holiday (laughs) maybe uh somewhere really remote like cape lebec up in wa Mm. okay that would be cool Mm. yeah i think remote somewhere where you couldn't be reached off grid off Off grid yeah Yeah. no people yeah (laughs) you realize that's the time where the shit hits the fan and you're actually (laughs) going to be (laughs) so you're going to be needed to make a critical decision um Lucy, what's your favourite movie? Oh, it's Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> Yippee-ki-yay. Yeah, that's right. I just think it's, you know, it's a wonderful example of the genre and I think there's been many imitators but no one's ever matched it. No, it was extraordinary, <laughs> that Bruce Willis. Uh, Everyone committed in that film. Every actor committed. Yeah. It was amazing. It's entered the, uh, the popular vernacular, yeah. those lines as well. Um, Heidi, favourite Band. Favourite band? <laughs> Is it a band or uh, no, singer? singer? Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers. <laughs> the gambler? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's her go-to karaoke song. Yeah. Oh, so you got my poker reference then. Got to yeah, know when yeah. to hold them, yeah, when to absolutely. fold them. So many good pieces no, of advice to, in that I'm song. I'm not going to sing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what culture fascinates you, Lucy? Oh, what culture fascinates me? Um... I don't know. I guess all cultures fascinate me in a way. Like we've all got something to learn from from other cultures. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm quite interested in the Japanese culture just because it does seem so so. I don't know. Um, like different from ours, but at the same time, the the outcome is so similar in terms of how you know we work. So yeah, I guess that'd be my answer. Um, for each of you, what advice would you give young entrepreneurs? Um, mine would be around backing yourself. Like if you if you don't believe enough in yourself, it's really hard for other people to believe in what you're doing. That comes firstly to trying to sell what you're doing to customers um, and then if you wanted to raise money as well. But this whole journey is about convincing people that you're the one to execute on this. Yep. So I think you've got to have this just... Uh, in the very beginning, this, you know, 100% belief that you're the one to do this and nobody else can do it as well as you can. Great. Yeah, and I think related to that, I think you've got to really be clear on your the why you're doing what you're doing um, and because the why becomes this touchstone, it becomes your Teflon coating, it becomes kind of your armour for... You're going to hear no a lot, you know, as, a, as an entrepreneur, like everybody's telling you no, like whether it's customers or potential investors or just people telling you that it sounds a bit far-fetched what you're talking about. And so you need to have that why to return to because it does kind of... It makes you, you know, it makes you stronger and it makes you, you know, I guess have that conviction that you can carry through. Great. Well, Heidi Holmes, Lucy Lloyd, thank you very much for sharing this journey with us. Um, It's been fascinating. And uh, thank you both for being on Discipline this morning. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you.